right. As usual, I have uh, Sean laughing right before we go live. Uh, welcome to you, the you official training camp edition of Under the Dome. We are five days into training camp. Uh, they, the Saints actually took a day off today. Um, and my understanding is this has been an incredibly physical camp, which is exactly what Saints fans wanted to hear. They wanted to hear that the Saints have to deal with the heat and have an intense physical camp, uh, which is, the, in their minds, a direct opposite of the Greenbot Briar. So... We have two guests with us tonight. Uh, we'll talk to them in just a second. One went to training camp uh, this past weekend, and the other has been at the Greenbrier training camp and can do a little comparison contrast between what he saw up there and what he's reading and hearing about the training camp in, in Metairie this week. But first, let's get introductions out the way. I'm Alan Ulrich, the host of Under the Dome, and my fellow co-host is Sean Williams. How are you doing tonight, Sean? I am spectacular. Uh, welcome to the uh, Under the Dome videos. I, I got a prop, so uh, thank you, Jonathan. Uh, we want to say welcome to everyone. Uh, we appreciate you joining us tonight. Uh, go ahead and pay the bills. We want to thank Fan First Productions and um, invite everyone to go and show on iTunes and on YouTube. Uh, you guys have been doing that faithfully, and our numbers have continuously rose. Thank you guys so much for that. Uh, the, we absolutely appreciate your support. Uh, you know, it's this is just a couple of guys talking about football and the team that we love, the team that we've followed and supported our entire lives. Uh, the only the only point in that process that becomes more is because you, is because you guys make more. And thank you so much for that and being a part of our vision and what it is we want to do. Uh, I need to make an announcement. Uh, as you guys know, anyone that's followed us for for any period of time. We have someone that's a very, very, very special friend of the show, um, a lady named Miss Donnie Lambert. Um, we found out a little over a week ago that uh, Miss Donnie's cancer had returned. Uh, she is going to begin her next round of chemotherapy treatments Thursday on uh, on, on the third, I'm sorry, uh, blanking here. Uh, there is something that we want you guys to be aware of. It's, uh, and uh, I'm just going to read it verbatim so that I don't screw it up. Um, good morning, diehard family, one of the Huda sisters in need of a blessing. I'm raffling off a 2017 Nike Adrian Pearson jersey to help out our member Donnie Lambert. She is in need of cancer treatment and care to and from the doctors. All tickets are $2, and the raffle will be live on Facebook Thursday, August the 10th, which is 
the of the first Saints preseason game, uh, which is the Saints' first preseason game. Uh, <laughs> for tickets or donations, inbox Don Lambert for her, for her information. Or uh, there's a few other people I'm going to mention momentarily to enter the drawing. Uh, we want to invite all of you. Uh, Miss Me is she's a piece of my heart. Uh, she's been a most diehard supporter of our show and everything that we have done from day one. Uh, I love her with all my heart. This broke my heart to hear this news. Uh, you can contact either Donnie Lambert herself on Facebook or Kyle Archer facebook as well for any and the uh the promo for this raffle is posted on our facebook page if you want if you'd like to refer to that for further information or to the people that i mentioned uh uh a few moments ago donnie lambert and archer please uh any of you that can uh we ask that you get involved to help this lady out. Uh, she's one of us. And we all know from as far back as Katrina, who that nation takes care of its own. And I'll, uh, I'll thank you ahead of time. Thank you guys so much for being uh, loyal and faithful members of the, that nation. Uh, without any further ado, Want to, uh, well, I, I'm going to let Alan introduce the first guest because he's a, he's a tax write-off for Alan. Not much longer. And, <laughs> and the other, I don't know if I should introduce. Now it's just an expense. Aside, aside from Alan myself, he's been on this show almost as much. Uh, but you go ahead and take care of guest number one and I'll. I'll to guess number two. Okay, my my expense uh, is my son out there in Lafayette, Louisiana. Uh, he is getting ready to go back to school in a few weeks. Believe it or not, uh, started his third third year in college. Uh, Matt Ulrich, uh, number seventeen over there. How are you doing tonight, Matt? I'm doing just fine. I'm I'm kind of ready for school to come back. Actually. You know, I saw pictures of Matt on the Saints of uh, uh, website. When, yeah, when he was waiting in line, he's a lot taller than I thought. He would be. Oh yeah, he's a big monster. Well, <laughs> I remembered me. I remembered when uh, when you and I got together for breakfast this morning, and I thought, well, I guess that makes sense. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> he yeah. Uh, he's. He's built just like my brother, so yeah. If you ever want to see what my brother's like, look at Matt. Almost a dead ringer, which I have some questions about that. Which will show <laughs> up. This this comment is going to show up in the three things I learned about under the dome. You know, Alan questions the genealogy of his own son. <laughs> you know, I love. I, I got to say this. My wife keeps saying it's my curse. I absolutely love what John Butler does. Oh, I do too. 
that every, Tuesday, every Wednesday morning when I wake up, the first thing I do is the page to see what he said. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully soon we're going to be able to coordinate our schedules in such a way as to get uh, oh, yeah. get John back on. Um, our, our next guest, my brother from another mother. Uh, I'm so proud of this guy. He, uh, he writes for Canal Street Chronicles. Uh, I, I can't say enough about the job that Bob does in covering this team. Especially given the fact that uh, these days he has uh, yet another uh, priority added to the list. Uh, how's uh, that new stage of fatherhood going there, Bob Rose? Uh, new stage of fatherhood. Let's just say I'm a little bit older now. Uh, I think you, know, you got you followers of Under the Dome have met my daughters. Uh, you know, 18 and 12 year old uh, Brianna and Isabella. And I, I forgot how much a newborn baby takes over your entire house, life, and every single thing you do. Oh, yeah. Um, but uh, little, little William Anthony Rose is three weeks old and one day today. Uh, he's, uh, he's sleeping in his crib right now, and his, his mom, uh, Lauren Davenport, is uh, sacked, out, uh, sacked out beside me on the couch. Uh, so they're taking advantage <laughs> of some nap time, uh, but yeah, yeah, we have uh, we have a little hoodat uh, to welcome to the nation now, um, and thank you, guys. Well, uh, for those that don't know, as I said, uh, you know, it's kind of trivial. Most people use it as a punchline when they say that so and so is brother from another mother. Bob is my little brother. Uh, and I love the guy to death, and I lovingly refer to young William as my nephew. Well, as soon as we get the family down there, we can get together for some uh, for some barbecues and some lunch. And yeah, Matt, you're only a couple years older than my daughter, so I hope you have a girlfriend. Uh, <laughs> no, he doesn't. He doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Actually, well, none of my kids are attached, which I'm very thankful for. I appreciate that. Oh, that'll change. <laughs> hey, yes, it will, but I'm you enjoying it now. You want me to show you what that looks like? You see that reflection there? <laughs> yeah, I know. I know. Well, you see this stuff here and here? Yeah, that, that comes from uh, the first one showed up almost 22 years ago, so... Um, well, let's get right into okay. it. Real Absolutely. Quickly. Uh, as uh, some of you may know, uh, our man Matt made it to training camp on Saturday, correct? Yes, yeah, Saturday. Okay. Uh, and we're just going to kind of, uh, kind of uh, quiz Matt on what he saw and what we can expect uh, and, and things like that. Uh, Matt, I, I, I want a question. I'll, excuse me. I have the first question. Um, defense, I, I do believe that it's probably not too far out of the realm of uh, logical to make the statement that just exactly how far the Saints are able to go this year uh, 
much like the past several years, is going to be directly dependent on exactly what that defense can accomplish. Uh, as, I, as an entire unit, what did you see out there that gives you reason to be optimistic towards the defense? Well, defensively, I can, about the uh, defensive line, I feel like Sean Payton really is high on David Ayamada. I saw him a lot run with the ones. And I'm not seeing, you know, Tyler Davis himself in that sometimes when, you know, they want to run a run play, then Ayamada comes in on sub packages. No, even when they're running their base packages, Ayamada is lying up right next to Jordan and Rankins, pass rushing, run stuffing. So I think Ayamada could really be a, kind of a hidden gem or really a, uh, a rising star for that defensive line. But one position I was definitely trying to pay pay most attention to was our linebacking core. On Saturday, instead of having, you know, Teo, Klein, uh, I think uh, Anthony, you had Klein at, at Sam, Robertson at Mike, and Anzalone playing the will. And uh, I also saw sometimes, you know, Klein and uh, Anzalone would switch, you know, uh, he would be at will. Um, Anzalone would be at Sam, and it looked. I thought the linebacker court did look really well with those three out out there. It looked faster. It looked like there was more suddenness, especially with Anzalone. There was one play that uh, they do have on YouTube. They have recorded was uh, I think a little pass play screen to uh, Peterson. You see Anzalone charge in and. Uh, and tackle Peterson. He doesn't finish it because it, it was kind of uh, halfway through where, you know, you can give him a good hit but not really tackle. And it looks it looked like, you know, it looked like a linebacker that has great instincts and can and will go full speed at any player in front of him. <laughs> Secondary-wise, I mean, it's more of it's more of the one-on-ones with wire receivers and DBs. Um, Lattimore had his high – high moments when he was playing man coverage, not, and he really struggles in zone coverage, but that, that was kind of expected with the kind of defense run, run at Ohio State. Uh, Bro looked okay. Williams did have an on and off kind of thing, but it was kind of uh, – he did – he had some good plays and some bad plays. Okay. Al? Um, oh, what – Okay, um, well, Bob, what is your uh, what is your take on what you've seen or heard or read about the uh, Saints defense so far, or the, the rookie class so far in this training camp? Um, Matt, uh, Matt already mentioned it a little bit uh, about how how much more athletic this linebacking core is, mm-hmm. uh, and I mean on paper. This is easily the most athletic uh, linebacking core we've seen from the Saints in quite some time. Uh, I, I like Anzalone from Florida. I think we all did when he, you know, uh, when the Saints drafted him. Uh, he's he's a heck of an athlete. Uh, Klein coming in from Carolina is a good sideline to sideline guy. We already know what Robertson can do. Uh, Stephon Anthony, for his lack of play recognition, is still one whale of an athlete too. Uh, so I, I'm just like Matt. I'm excited to see what uh, what this linebacking core can do this year. Uh, a lot of things I've been hearing from camp and a little bit of live stream that I've been able to see. Uh, the the defensive backfield 
uh, especially at cornerback. And we all know that there's going to be one heck of a battle at cornerback, uh, especially beyond the starting two to fill out that roster. And it seems like all these guys are really working hard to compete. Uh, you know, you would expect Lattimore, just like you said, Matt, you would expect Lattimore as a rookie, especially in covered, uh, to have some slow reaction plays. Um, Matt, I wanted to ask you anyway, I've been hearing that bro seems a little bit off. Uh, what do you, what are you seeing from Delvin, you know, as far as especially man to man coverage? It, it was kind of hard for me to see everything because I was probably closest to where everyone was walking in. And a lot of the plays that they were doing was towards the other end when it was closer to, uh, I want to say that Budweiser building, uh, my dad will know what he, what uh, I'm talking about because we yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a beer distribution. It's a beer distributorship. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you're talking about. That's over by the church. I know what you're talking, mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Yeah, the way the Saints, for those who don't know, Saints training camp and airline highway, on one side of the stadium, one side of the training facility is a baseball stadium. Um, that's the AAA baseball affiliate. And on the other side, there's a there's a beer distri- distribution and a church right next to each other, only in Louisiana. But anyway, <laughs> so yeah, so your whole perspective, if anybody remembers the uh, the 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 NFL highlights film when um, Jim Haslett was first hired, he said the only they they couldn't they didn't know where North and South was. All they knew is the the Stadiums over here and over there is a church, and the sun comes up over the church. That's all they knew, because <laughs> they couldn't figure everything else the way you know the city sits and everything else like that. So I know exactly what you're talking about. So he was seeing things perspective. There's two fields. There's one field that goes long ways in front of the facility, and then there's a second field that goes towards the back um, from the highway to the uh, to the indoor practice facility. So if they have anything on that side where the brewery and the church, I mean, the beer distri- distribution center is in the church, it's harder to see. So when you got 90 guys out there, they've got individual drills all over the field. So he what he basically could see probably was um, probably the seven on seven drills. Is that what you were seeing? Uh, probably close. They had both seven on seven, even a, a few 11 on 11. Okay. They, yeah, they were very close to a scrimmage, just, you know, no, no hard hitting. It's kind of half half and half. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Here's the thing I'm noticing about this training camp so far. And, in fact, I saw a story about this uh, today. What you're seeing right now is the, uh, the fingerprints of – Jeff Ireland on this team. Who are the players that are making this team or having an impact on this team? Well, it's two draft classes, 2016 and this one. Uh, you're seeing all the guys in 2016 draft class on this team, uh, whether it's Michael Thomas, Von Bell, um, and David Onimata, uh, all having a role on this team, and they're counting on very heavily as starters. Then you look at the class, this class, the 2017 class, which it's only a week into camp. We can't, like Bill Parcells said, put away the anointing oil. But a week into camp, 
who are the guys that make an impact on this on this team? We're seeing everybody, every single player in this draft class, even Muhammad, having a role or having some sort of impact in this draft class. The 2015 draft class, which was the last Ryan Pace slash a little bit of Jeff Ireland in there, that class, we're, we're looking at those guys as this is their last shot to do something. Yeah. Um, Kehaka um, and, uh, well, Pace, we're, I mean, Pete, we're counting on him, but uh, uh, Anthony, you know, those three guys are really, and P.J. Williams, I, I keep forgetting about P.J. Williams and Damian Swan, but P.J. Williams, those guys, were, except for Pete, we're trying to see where they fit on this team and if they're going to have a role in this team. So we have seen now Jeff Ireland upgrading the talent level on this team. And not only are those guys expected to have a role, but an impact. So I think that's really interesting um, from the standpoint of, you know, how the fans have been beating up Mickey Loomis forever about the lack of talent. It seems to be that these last two draft classes, 2016, 2017 are really reshaping this roster and making this a much better roster. How do you, do you guys all see that? I agree oh, there's no, because I, I think that there's a movement. It, maybe it's not as much or as little as, as other teams believe, but I think that there is a movement of a conscious effort, if you will, to, for this roster to go younger. And it hasn't oh, – yeah. it's been some subtle before now. But if you look around, you got your Drew – you got your Zach Street. You got your. I guess you could even in that category you could put Cam Jordan. But you look around at the, uh, the age and the experience with the rest of the roster, and it's just it's it's not been nearly as advanced as those three guys. It, well, it, it's not only that. Look at the free agents that they've signed in the last couple years too. They're not going – I mean, there are a couple exceptions, of course, but they're not going after the high-priced, big-name guys like they were. They're bringing in instead younger, more complementary pieces like Robertson um, and other – oh, shoot, other names escape me. But, like, you know, like Craig Robertson and players like that, play, hungrier players that are coming into their prime that are maybe late 20s instead of early and mid-30s kind of guys – uh, like we saw with Jerry's Bird, like we saw with Danelle Ellerby. Um, so as a whole, it's still even the free agency moves, you know, signing Larry Warford and uh, A.J. Klein this past, uh, past season. We don't know what they're going to give us yet, but those are the same kind of guys. Those are guys that are just coming into their prime. Uh, so even the free agency moves are going a lot younger. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I, I'm not about to anoint this uh, – this draft class, the best draft class since 2006, because they still have to prove it on the field. And, you know, ne this time next week, uh, well, no, the preseason, when's the next pre, when's the first preseason next game? Thursday is it, the 10th. Is it, it's Thursday. Yeah. Okay. So our, our first weeks. one is, is the, the, the first one. Yeah. We'll Hall of Fame is Thursday. Yeah. Tomorrow in, in the, uh, the Hall of Fame game, which will be Dallas and Arizona. Is it? I thought it was San Diego. 
shoot, I can't remember. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. San Diego doesn't exist anymore. Uh, the Chargers. <laughs> I thought it was the Chargers. But regardless. The Blue Bolts. Yeah, two weeks from now, uh, after the first preseason games in the books, we might be throwing all this out the window and talking about how yeah, uh, how can we avoid it? How can we avoid an eight and eight season? You know, but yeah, because so I can remember, uh, Cowboys and the Cardinals. I was right. Cowboys and the Cardinals. Okay, but I was going to say this time last year we were kind of excited and optimistic about the Saints pre uh, training camp as well. I just find it interesting that we're really seeing a lot of the new faces stepping up and having a role in this team. Not so much the guys from last year who were hurt and counting on them to make a comeback. We're, we're paying a lot closer attention to all these new people. Uh, and David Onyemata is a great example. We've got two guys in camp who seem to be having outstanding camps. David Onyemata is one of them. And the other one is Brandon Coleman, the one guy that everyone kind of wrote off uh, – especially after after uh, the draft when the Saints signed uh, uh, the LSU receiver as a uh, undrafted free agent. People were kind of saying, yeah, people were kind of saying that, you know, this is Coleman's last shot. He probably isn't going to make the team. And if anything, he's proving he's challenging Ted Ginn for that number three spot. Well, you know, over the past several years, at this point in time in the process as camp beginning – it's a time-honored tradition, if you will, of talking about the pending demise of Colton, and yet still, here it is all these years later, uh, guys like Neptune are gone, uh, all these other guys that we've drafted are gone, and Brandon Coleman still remains. Um, but that being said, I do feel it necessary to uh, to say that this could be a make or break point in the process for Brandon Coleman. Sure. He is he's going to have to take it to the next level or be left behind because you have players like Ed Ginn Jr. You have players like Tommy Lee Lewis that now is not a wide rookie out there seeing all this for the first time. He's got a year under his belt to uh, to re- a year's experience, excuse me, under his belt to refer to and and to to age him, so to speak, I guess. Uh, Brandon Coleman all this time has been the the less of all the evil of the undrafted free agent pool that we assembled. But at the same time, I believe that it's fair to say, and you guys, we were all discussing this uh, before going on the air. Um, I I don't think that it's at all a stretch to say that the New Orleans Saints wide receiver core a year ago was the best in the league. You had Brandon Cooks that was over a thousand yards. You had. Michael Thomas that over a thousand yards. You had Willie Sneed that was in, I believe, two hundred yards up reaching that one thousand yard receiving mark. You had a quarterback and Drew Brees that for the one hundred and seventy 
25th time apparently in his career he's gone over 5,000 yards passing in the season. Uh, I, I don't think that it's a stretch at all to say that New Orleans Saints wide receiver core and maybe even go so far as to say statistically speaking their receiver core a year ago was the best in the NFL. I think that it's going to be interesting to see with the departure of Brandon Cooks, um, see exactly where that dynamic goes this season. With with all the movement of, uh, of players, you've got Cooks gone, you've got Thomas stepping up into that uh, uh, lack of a better word, that Cooks role. You've got Need possibly stepping into that role that was Thomas a year ago. Um, got Brandon Coleman, you've got Tommy Lee Lewis, you've got Sean Lapman, you've got all these different guys, and it's going to be interesting to see exactly how all of this plays out now. Well, well, Bob, why don't you why don't you go ahead and chime in on this one? Um, we uh, Canal Street Chronicles. We just uh, we just released last week. Uh, we did our offensive positional previews, and uh, Sean, we touched on exactly some of the things that you were talking about uh, when we when we did our wide receivers. Uh, the production that Brandon Cooks gave to this team, especially over the last two seasons, that's not going to be easily replaced. And based off of the pieces on this roster, I don't see one person that's going to do it. Uh, anybody that thinks that Ken, Ted Ginn Jr. was signed to replace the production of Brandon Cooks, uh, you're, you're fooling yourself, and I'd urge you to, to lighten up on the meds a little bit. Um, <laughs> this, uh, this receiving core is going to go how Mike Thomas and Willie Sneed go. They're by far heads and shoulders, numbers one and two. Uh, and I put them up against the starting two of any other team in the NFL. The battle for number three, though, is it going to begin? I know, I know Coleman's on fire, and I've always been a big fan of him. Uh, two seasons ago, uh, when, we walked, well, when we were down in uh, Greenbrier, or I guess uh, you're, as far as you guys go, up in Greenbrier, I, I got a chance to Coleman, and, I mean, he followed Colston around like a shadow, exactly what you'd want a young wide receiver to do. Uh, Coleman put forth great effort. Uh, he, he has some nice moves and one-on-one -on -one coverage. His problem always has been he fights the ball. Uh, it's, a, it's a fundamental thing. And one of the uh, – Alan, you touched on this uh, before we went on air. talked about Curtis back as the Saints receivers coach. Probably has the biggest – a bigger influence over Coleman than probably even the quarterback Drew Brees. Uh, Coleman seemed to be really frustrated at last year's camp, and it affected his effort. Frankly, I was a little bit surprised he even made the team coming out of last year. Uh, but he, he ended the season well. Um, they didn't need him to step up into a number three role like I think this team does now. Because, uh, yeah, again, to me, is nothing more than a deep threat and a punt returner. Uh, if you're playing a dangerous game, if you're uh, if you're expecting this guy to be a consistent, reliable receiver, you, you 
Hogan Jr. to top off, and you use Michael Thomas, you use Willie Sneed to a lesser extent, you're going to use Brandon Coleman uh, to run every other route in the tree. Uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if you guys agree, Matt. You've seen uh, you've seen Brandon close up uh, in in some of these practices. Do you think he's ready to take that next step forward? Well, absolutely. He looks for one faster and just overall better. During one on ones between wide receiver and DBs, he just destroys Brandon. Uh, I'm sorry, uh, PJ Williams. He's even had a couple reps against Devin Bro where he did pretty well. I mean, I think this is a guy that he's going to uh, progress very, very well. And, and maybe even be down to take in for some, uh, for some serious snaps. A, a couple of years ago, I got into an argument with, um, with a, a Saints fan online, basically who was obsessed with speed. Speed, it's all about speed. And – and so for there, back then, because I was saying, you've got to have somebody who can move the chains. And yeah. in my view, I think if you can get Thomas and Sneed and Ginn to kind of run those clear-out routes, Coleman is going to be a matchup problem for most linebackers. And not the, the top-end corners, but the tip typical number two, number three corners that are out there, you know, uh, because of his size and his wingspan as far as a receiver. So, you know, that is going to be an ideal possession third down receiver. Uh, <clears throat> I think you're going to see a little bit more out of Snead as the, as a number two guy. Yeah. But I think with Coleman coming in under Curtis Johnson's coaching, um, to be, I think he is going to be that number three guy. I think you're going to see again come in on packages as the quote unquote number three slot guy, whatever. But mainly, he is going to be there to stretch the defense and to play special teams. He's not going in there as a guy you're going to see take, oh, if the Saints run 60 plays offensively, he might be in 15. Yeah. You know, plays like that, you're going to see Coleman out there a lot more. Um, and whoever that number five receiver is, and let's just say for sake of argument, it's Corey Fuller. It's going to have to be somebody else who can play special teams. Uh, and that guy is going to be alternating sometimes. If he can be pretty good at on special teams, alternating somebody who's going to be inactive, depending on the matchup. Um, kind of leads me to the next thing I want to go into the impact we're having on this team. We talked about CJ impact on Coleman. I alluded to Mike Nolan's impact on Stefan Anthony, but Tanya Mata, you know, the new defensive, I just had to look him up for a second, the new defensive line coach, uh, Ryan Nielsen. Nielsen, yeah. Is he having an impact on Anya Mata? I think he is. I think it's helping him make take that next step to kind of lessen the impact that we have of losing fairly. Um, and then um, the special teams coach. We haven't even talked about him because I don't like talking about kickers, but the special teams coach is having it seems to be a tremendous impact on Will Lutz because I don't think Will Lutz look, um, slow down. I don't think Will Lutz <laughs> has missed a kick. 
all training camp. Yeah. You try saying that yeah. fast. Yeah. But also on Saturday, they were running a lot of special team drills, including a pun coverage drill. And I think they ran probably those drills three times in between the dimensions. It was, it was unremarkable. Sean's still laughing about me trying to stumble over <laughs> Will Lutz's name. I almost called him Will Putz, you know, so that's where I am. You know? <laughs> I got to take my glasses um, off. I'm sorry. Oh. <laughs> we, we've kind of kicked this into all, uh, kick-started this all the into the the second half of the show, uh, the discussion on the uh, the, the Saints, uh, what amounted to the Under the Dome podcast uh, camp timer we began last week with defense this week. Excuse me. This week we are getting into the offense. Uh, and I want to preface this by saying there are – an astronomical amount, or excuse me, number of uh, narrative storylines, however you want to look at it or deem that, that are absolutely relevant going to this training camp. Uh, you have, oh my God, all the receivers, uh, Adrian Peterson, Mark Ingram, um, Ryan Ramsick, uh, Pete, the, the whole the whole shooting match, so to speak. Um, but <clears throat> we've we've tried to narrow it down to just a few of the more important storylines going into this camp, and we've covered a few here already with uh, the wide receiver core. But I, I want to shift gears a little bit and. Uh, Perhaps Matt can weigh in on this, having been at practice the other day. Uh, with the quarterback position, uh, obviously the New Orleans Saints have no quarterback issues as long as number nine is lucid and upright. Um, but I, but I want to ask you guys, uh, just kind of, I guess it's there's no right answer, maybe just a theoretical question, but what's going to be the Difference between you know being under center at number two and Luke McCown past couple of years being in backup role is that going to present any change whatsoever in this? No. You go no, ahead. I don't. You you sure, Matt? Yeah, go ahead, Bob. All right, man. Thank. Um, no, I don't. I, I don't think it makes any difference whatsoever. Uh, Drew Drew knows Chase. They they've worked together before. Uh, he had a close relationship with him then before you know, before Chase as a free agent, uh, and everybody knows that he was close. The bottom is that Drew Brees goes. This team is done. I don't care whether you put Chase Daniel in. I don't care whether you put Luke McCown in. Uh, the backup quarterback role for the New Orleans Saints right now is not a developmental role. It's an extra pair of eyes for Drew and Coach Payton on the field. And I think both of these guys accomplished that feat well. So I don't think that, uh, I don't think that either guy – they're almost interchangeable. I, I don't think it makes a bit of difference who's, uh, who's there for that extra set of eyes. 
Yeah, I kind of agree with you, Bob. I mean, with Chase Daniel, you got a younger guy. You got someone that maybe if Drew does decide to kick the bucket next year, but let's not not trying to scare you guys just yet, but you got a younger guy that could theoretically take over the helms even for just a year or two until you can get a different younger guy to take over. Uh, well, I don't look at I, – I don't agree with that so much as I don't think that Chase Daniels is – or Chase Daniel, sorry, is anything more than like what Bob said, just another set of eyes. If the worst-case scenario happens and Drew gets hurt and misses several games of the season, I mean, you know, Chase can carry you for to finish a game. He might be able to start a game or two. But he's not Drew Brees. He's not going to be Drew Brees. He's not even really going to be a, a, any kind of long-term solution at a starter. But Drew, like Tom Brady, is still playing. I know Sean just cringed at that name. But is still playing at an elite le- level at nearly 40 years old. He, uh, he has not shown any sign in camp of age at all. I think he was a second – finished second in the conditioning run. Um, You know, so, I mean, barring, again, any kind of major injury, uh, it's Drew all the way, and Chase is just there, just as his caddy. He's not going to be there for anything other than, you know, let's hope nothing happens, but if something happens to Drew, I can come in and finish a game, and if I have to start a game, I can start a game, and the season's not lost. But if you're going to rely on me for eight, 10, 12 games, you know, we're, we're fighting for a top top five draft pick if that was the case. Sean, your opinion? Your opinion on, on Chase or uh, the quarterback situation? I really – I don't think that – I think that the relevance of who's – and this sounds simplistic, and I understand that. The relevance of backup is really kick in until Drew's slow to get up. Drew does get up. As we saw two years ago in the Tampa Bay game when Drew mm-hmm. got hurt and missed his first start in forever. Um, the and, and I think it, it all goes back to – that age old and the best back quarterback that you have is the one that you never play. Right. Right. Um, and, and exactly what you'll get out of Chase Daniel, you're going to get the same kind of performance. He can be somebody can come in and maybe start a game, but you got to get Drew back out there. If you want to win. You, you had Luke McCown who is a former starter in this league, but and don't get me wrong, Luke's a Louisiana State graduate, love the guy, the whole nine yards, but we have to be fair, we have to be accurate, and we have to look at this for what it is. There's a reason that Luke McCown is no longer a starter in this league. Mm-hmm. There's a reason that that Luke McCown is not looked at in the same light as Drew Brees, Tom Brady, uh, Eric, Aaron Rodgers, you know. There's a reason for all that. The only, in terms of uh, experience, uh, what you're bringing to the table, the only difference that I see right now in 
portfolio of uh, Luke McCown and Chase Daniel is Chase Daniel's young. Yeah. And yeah. Uh, really, there's no, there's nothing that is substantial enough to make one greater than the other beyond that that age thing. Uh, Matt, when uh, you were there Saturday, um, did uh, were they in pads? Did they had pads on. They did. They were okay. in pads, but they were. But like I said, they weren't in full tack. They weren't full tackling. It, I think Monday was the first day where they could do live tackling, all that kind of stuff. It it was half and half. Okay, because uh, my understanding this leads us to the next discussion we, point we have. Um, Adrian Peterson came out there and uh, kind of pinballed off of a couple guys and got the crowd all pumped up because he kind of he blew through that hole like the Adrian Peterson of 2007 to 2013 and uh, just kind of bounced off a couple of potential tackles and basically for, for a practice, took it to the house. Um, how does Peterson look? From what I saw, he looked, he looks great. He, he, I wouldn't say he looks like the old Adrian Peterson because like I said, it was kind of half and half, but there is reason for optimism as a not only a good backup, but also someone that you can rotate regularly with Ingram to, uh, to get some effective runs. And a lot. I mean, I, I, I've said. Oh, go ahead. And if you want another reason for optimism, a lot of runs came at the left side where Ramcheck was left tackling, had Pete on the as the guard. So if you want that kind of optimism, with Ramcheck, there you go. That's awesome because, like we said before, you know, I said all these rookies and all these second-year guys are guys, not only they're expecting to play a role, but to start. Yeah. Uh, you know, so that's great to hear. And this is why I'm, I'm, I'm saying this, and I'm hoping that I'm right about this. You know, in 2009, when the Saints went to the Super Bowl, the best part of the running game with with that in that year was Pierre Thomas and Reggie. I mean, Pierre, yeah, Pierre Thomas and Reggie Bush kind of played the whole first half. Then in the second half, Mike Bell came in there, fresh legs, and you look, you saw that especially against Miami. Uh, Miami was tired uh, because Drew Brees had him running all over the place with him throwing the ball, and then here comes Mike Bell late in the third quarter, early in the fourth quarter, and he's just running people over. I think his first run was for like 25 yards, and another one for 15 yards. This is for the Adrian Peterson fans. In the ideal world, I'm hoping Ingram gets enough carries in that first half to kind of wear that defense out. We build that big lead up like we did in 2009-2011. And then here comes Future Hall of Famer Adrian Peterson with fresh legs in the th late in the third, early fourth quarter. <clears throat> Who wants to try and tackle Peterson at that point in the game? That's when you consult the game. Play. Everyone knows you're going to run the ball. And Coons in front of Peterson. And here we go. Off the left side. Off the right side. Peterson just pounding a defense that's tired, that's worn out. They're going to close the game up with that. That is the ideal scenario. Um, so, question, where does 
Alvin Kamara fit in this offense? Kamara fit in this offense? I have an idea, but I want to hear from you guys. Uh, Bob, what do you think? Bob, Matt? Alvin Bob. Kamara is Sean Payton's number one toy. Yep. That's why he got him. That's why he targeted him. Uh, if if this kid picks up the playbook fast, and we've been we've been hearing that he's a he's a good study, and uh, and that he's going to hit the ground running for that, if you'll pardon the pun, uh, Kamara is going to be sometimes on first down, sometimes in the same backfield with either Ingram or Peterson, uh, you know, depending on the reps that they give those guys. And I know we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, Kamara will almost certainly be your third down back. Uh, he'll be split wide. We're going to see Kamara probably get 20, 20 to 25 snaps. I'm not saying touches, but snaps. And we're going to see him used in every bit of the way that Reggie Bush was used, that Darren Sproles was used, that Pierre Thomas was used. And like I said, this is, this is Sean Payton's toy. He, ha he has to be grinning ear to ear since draft day. Matt, I think, went to bed with a picture of Alvin Kamara every night next to his pillow uh, because I'm telling you on draft day, my phone blew up the minute because he was, for some reason, he was in a time zone that was ahead of everyone else. So he knew who was getting drafted before yeah. they announced it, before it showed up on Twitter, anywhere. So I got on my phone in second coming Tet font, you know, Kamara to the Saints from my son. So, you know, he was like, yes! So, Matt, was he what you expected when you saw him out there? Because I know you were watching. Absolutely. Well, receiving it was, I saw that kind of elusiveness and shiftiness that I did see at Tennessee. Unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to uh, really meet him face-to-face -face and all that kind of stuff because I think he was one of the early ones that went inside the uh, locker room and probably had, probably had an interview or something. I don't know, but... Yeah, Frankie Valli saw my eyes adored you. Was probably playing in his back, playing in the background when he saw you, and was just like, uh, "No, I have to go in. I don't need. I don't really need this right now." Thank you. The love of a father. Yeah, I wanted to see running attempts from Kamara. Though. I wanted to see him more as a running back. Uh, Sean Payne did say in one of his press conferences that Kamara does remind him of a lot of Marshall Falk. Yeah. And even when, yeah. And there were even times I saw Kamara split out wide in an empty set. You had uh, Thomas, Sneed, uh, it was either Ginn or Coleman. They switched out. And then you had Kamara and uh, Fleener in an empty set. I'm like, I've seen that before. I've seen – I can see – this thing is run out more and more, especially against a team like Carolina or even, or even Tampa, trying to uh, test their line back and forth. Well, you know, and Fleener, I think, is somebody who's going to definitely benefit from having a back like Kamara if Kamara yeah. turns out to be another Reggie Bush, Darren Sproles, even Marshall Falk, who, who I don't think he's a Marshall Falk kind of back, but if he has that kind of impact on the Saints, it would be incredible because – that's what Graham needed. Um, somebody coming out the backfield to get the linebackers' attention 
So Grant can get those one-on-one -on -one matchups with the set, with the safeties or a smaller corner or whatever and take advantage of the scene routes. And again, you've got Coleman, you've got Thomas, you've got a you know, you've got these weapons, you know, and that's what made Atlanta so dangerous last year was the multiple weapons and the multiple ways they can attack you. And we're seeing that kind of offense, at least on paper, appearing in New Orleans again. And if we can just get our defense to get this is what I was beating up on last week. Um, get our defense to get a few turnovers, get through some extra possessions with those weapons. We can win games with a 20th ranked defense, a 21st ranked defense, as long as we're in the top five on turnovers and we're still a top three offense and so forth. I wanted to get you guys' opinion on something about Kamara, though. Um, and, Matt, I think you and I talked a little bit about it after draft day. I almost don't like the Kamara comparisons to Sproles because Sproles was almost a gadget play. One heck of a receiver coming out of the backfield, and like you said, Alan, impossible for linebackers. Uh, in the game, he was the only running back in the game. You knew they probably weren't going to run the ball. Kamara is a more accomplished running back, is he not? Yeah, I, I, the problem with Sproles is that you couldn't always use him as a running back. You couldn't use him for those plays up the gut. I mean, at best, you probably – you probably had those pitch plays, and even if you did have those runs up the guy, it was usually like a draw or something just to catch him off, off base. With Kamara, he, he's not just another guy you can split out wide and just use a wide receiver. You have him as a running back. He's, a, he's just as effective, in my opinion, as a running back as a, a wide receiver. So, Sean, would you say then that Kamara is probably more of a hybrid of Reggie Bush and Pierre, more so than a Sproles kind of back? Somebody who's going to be probably much more effective in the screen game again and somebody who is just going to be a, uh, a quicker version of Thomas? Uh, yeah. Uh, some of that I, dis I agree with. Some of it I disagree with. My initial reaction when the Saints drafted Kamara was all this time, all these years, and Alan, you know, as well as I do, these mm -hmm. Saints fans, every time that the running game was deemed inefficient to have won a game, Sproles, uh, they've put a Darren Sproles, Darren Sproles, and my initial reaction when we drafted Kamara was this is the most Darren Sproles that the New Orleans Saints have been since number 43 left the building. Um, I think that how successful he is is going to be directly dependent on how he's used. I think that he can be more than a Darren Sproles. He can be more than a Pierre Thomas, strictly from the standpoint of Sean Payton being more experienced now in exactly how to use him in that offense. Now, that's with the uh, the possible caveat that, uh, as we've all seen, John Payton doesn't use the experience uh, that he's gained because, you know, there's times when I've seen him run the swing pass 
with a uh, Travers Dett or a Mark Ingram. And, you know, long story short, not Pierre Thomas. Uh, nobody ran that swing pass for the New Orleans Saints like Pierre Thomas. Um, I think that Mara can come an integral part of this offense if used in the that's going to be a result of Drew Brees, Willie Speed, Michael Thomas, Hobie Fleener, um, Mark Ingram, and or uh, AP all being on the same page and it working that way. Sean, when you were talking about the swing pass, I know exactly what you're talking about. Every time I see it with Cadet or Ingram, they get the pass, and then once they see someone, they want to try and, you know, make them look silly, and, and it just doesn't work. I'm just like, just punt forward. But with hopefully Kamara, and I, what I did see with Pierre back then was you take one simple cut and just fall forward and pick up extra yardage. That's what made more effective. They don't try and dance. They don't try and – make them look so they just get as much yard as, they, as much as they can. You know, it's funny that they used to describe uh, Pierre, Pierre Thomas used to describe himself as an ugly runner, yeah. but I was always amazed at how he could, I must like John Madden here, but he could make himself small. He created a small area of his body where the guy would try and make the tackle and he just kind of slide off of the tackle and fall forward and gain three or four more yards. Here's a guy who's got Pierre, you know, it's third and 10. He's got Pierre dead to rights at five yards. And Pierre could slide and fall forward for another, not just the other five, but maybe pick up seven. So, you know, it's, he got a first down on a little dump off pass, which should have been a give up play. But, and I think if Kamara can do that, 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 Again, my, my offensive philosophy, it's about moving the chains, keeping the drive going. It doesn't have big plays every time, but just consistently converting third downs into first downs, uh, you know, that is the key to, to winning football on offense. Um, so the, the last – I, I agree, and I'm sorry to interrupt. No, no, you're good. There's, there's a point to make here. If you look – this is something – this is – dead horse that I have beat since uh, January. If you look back on the season of 2016, uh, seven and nine season and seven of nine lost for by a touchdown or less. You're talking about one possession, an extra first down, one touchdown on a drive that culminated in a field goal. When you're talking about logistics being the deciding factor of the game, not to mention seven games over the stretch of a, a, a season, things like this are going to be important. Yep, exactly, exactly. Um, certainly is one last area we haven't talked a whole heck of a lot about, um, kind of wrap up tonight, um, the offensive line. Uh, we've already hinted, you know, that Ramchak is running with the ones. Um, you know, we haven't heard much about Pete at all. I think only a couple of things about me, you know, Pete 
got beat on one play. Next play, he he came right back and dominated. Um, the center issue, we've got some stuff going on with the center with uh, the inability to snap, which is critical in our offense. Jack Allen in particular has had a lot of problems with that. Um, we had a guy we brought in from San Diego, uh, Orlando Franklin. He had a weekend of, of this lovely weather we have in Louisiana with <laughs> hot humidity, and and uh, it was enough for him to say, you know, I came from San Diego where it's beautiful, 60 degrees, 70 degrees every day, and I'm practicing in a soup? I don't think so, and I'm out of here. So the Saints let him go. Um, Reminds me of my five-year-old son in the day that he had their uh, – last day of school the principal of the school comes to my little five-year-old pre-case and drew and says drew baby if you want to stay for the rest of the day with the class and and just stay here you can do that or you can go with your daddy this is after their big commitment program you know no but if you want to go with your dad you can do that he looked at her and he at me and you look back at her and he says, screw this, I'm out of here. <laughs> um, uh, but we haven't uh, heard much. You've met yeah. Drew's. You, you kind of get a picture mm-hmm. of that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, I mean, we haven't really heard much about, you know, Zach Street or um, the, the lineman we got from the Lions, whose name escaped me right now. Warford. 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 Yeah. Yeah, we haven't heard a whole heck of a lot, but I think Monday was the first day they really went at it in pads. Uh, so I'm sure come tomorrow and the rest of this week and this weekend, we'll probably hear a lot more about the offensive and defensive lines. Um, how do you guys feel about the offensive line right now? Let me know when Nervous. it's preseason. That's all I'm going to say. Let me know when it's preseason. Okay. Bob, I'm nervous. Uh, just like just like Matt said, and uh, you alluded to, Alan, it's the way the preseason camps go now. the The old Oklahoma drills are a thing of the past. That's when you could get a real good feel about. Yeah, all right, this guy has a mean streak to him. He's gonna fight. Uh, he's gonna claw. He's gonna scratch on either side of the line. Uh, you don't you don't see that anymore. Uh, the Really, the best indicator uh, of a lineman, offensive lineman, would be, in my opinion, at this stage, is how how is their footwork? How are they moving? Uh, do they seem to be lost uh, on, uh, especially you know, the drop back passes, the seven on seven stuff like that? Uh, when they when they strap on the chin straps for the first time, August tenth, I'm very interested to see how this is going to play out. Uh, I'm not too awful worried about center. I don't expect Jack Allen to make the team. Shit, hell, he might not make it to August 10th if uh, if these uh, errant snaps continue. Uh, but we're pretty mm-hmm. sure that we're going to get Max Unger back. Uh, Kelamete, I think, is still on PUP, if I'm not mistaken, on the pup list. Mm-hmm. Uh, he'd fill in his center when he comes back if he had to. Uh, Pete, we, I remember talking with you guys a lot about this uh, as last season ended. Pete's best fit is at guard. They drafted Ramchek for a reason. Uh, a rookie left tackle scares me, uh, but the kid seems to have some nice ability. 
we, we won't know until the preseason games start. Warford and Streif on the right side, they should be solid. They'll take a couple games to get their uh, uh, to get their teamwork together to you know so that way they know uh, what they're do- uh, what they're doing a little bit. But I'm more confident on that side of the line. I- I'm a wait and see approach on the left side right now. Yeah, yes. they also had uh, when they had wide receiver and DB drills they, on the other side. They had uh, O line versus D line, and you really couldn't see anything even if you were. Su- even if you were sitting right next to them, because you had players basically circle around that not even the uh, media could even see. So basically, everyone was watching wide receivers versus TVs. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I have a feeling, you know, that's going to be the most critical part of preseason to watch is how this offensive line uh, goes. And I think we're going to have some problems at center, especially in the first couple of preseason games. I uh, I saw that Unger was stretching on the sidelines. He's not. He's at camp. It's not like the where you know we were playing. Where's, where's Waldo with uh, Jarius Bird when he was hurt? <laughs> uh, we do know where these guys are. They're at practice. Um, but I'm worried they might have to hurry Unger in sooner than they should. Uh, problems at center. I know Nick Mangold is still out there. He's recovering from uh, his own personal, you know, injuries from uh, from last year with the Jets. But the problem you have with any center the Saints will be looking at, that guy is coming in knowing that you only need it for a couple of games, maybe. Um, you know, Unger is going to be there, and once Unger's there, he's starting. Um, so it, it's kind of like, are we going to have to sit and watch punishment <laughs> by uh, on the offensive line for preseason with the idea, like like last year, oh, as soon as Unger comes in, he's just like Zach Street, you put him in there, and boom, the offensive line suddenly is a Pro Bowl fortress for Drew Brees. I don't know if I want to go through that. I'd like to see kind of like what we saw in 2009 when the Saints went to play Oakland, uh, the Raiders in Oakland that season, that preseason game. That's when you really saw, hey, this team's got something special about it. Because even though you had Jamarcus Russell at quarterback for the Raiders and the Raiders were who the Raiders were, it was beyond the Raiders being pathetic. You saw that Saints offense, that machine starting to roll. And this is what was coming. Uh, and I think they need that in the preseason. I think they need to get that that feeling that, hey, and we're ready to roll. And we're going to start rolling over some people in the preseason, you know, with the starters out there, of the dogs. But we want to see, you know, Drew come in and is five for five with a touchdown opening drive. You know, in that first preseason game, in that third preseason game, he's already racked up 35 points, you know, when he's ready to go in after that series in the third quarter. I, that's what we need to see as fans. I, I, and I think the Saints defense and offense needs to experience that kind of success, too. So they yeah. come into that first game against Minnesota because they, they don't play again until Monday night. But they come into that first game in that stadium – which rocking, it's Monday night, first game of the season. We just go in there and smoke the Vikings. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we need to see. 
So yeah. I'm also curious how the DB score goes against a middle-of-a-road quarterback like Sam Bradford. If they can take advantage of him, keep him realistically under 300, because no doubt he's probably going to rack up garbage tier yards late in the fourth quarter if it goes away. The I just want to slap the I want to slap the crap out of him in the first half. I want him to have like you know if he's not getting five sacks, I want to see him on his ass a bunch after he lets the ball go. Where you know we're coming all day, we're coming all day, kind of thing. You know, and, and when he's nervous, he's looking at the rush instead of uh, thinking about what he should be doing and getting rid of the ball. I mean, yeah, that's like, that's what you need. Yeah, it's like I we're, said. How we're dealing with the middle of a row quarterback as Sam Bradford. Yeah. If we're taking advantage of him, I got hope for not only this defense, but also this team going on in, in the season and probably making the postseason. And we'll see what goes from there. But if he's getting close to 300 and it's almost the fourth quarter, there's more reasons for concern. Yeah. You know, yeah. I, I may be accused of being naive. Uh, but I look back a year ago and the overwhelming narrative going in, going, well, basically going through the entire preseason process, the overwhelming narrative was, oh, my God, our offensive line sucks. We're going to yeah. get Drew filled in the first two weeks of the season, uh, in, you know, the whole nine yards. And fast forward to – the week after the season's over and our offensive line stood up probably better than any situational unit of of the, the entire roster. All that being said, I don't I'm I'm not particularly concerned with the offensive line. I know that we had issues with injuries to our center and our blind side tackle, which in this case is tackle to Ron Armstead. I, I I know that starting a rookie offensive tackle on your quarterback's side is not exactly an ideal position. I, I take some solace in the fact that this is going to be the natural position that Ramchick played at Wisconsin yeah. in being left tackle. Uh, I think that definitely a bonus. I think that Ron Armstead having his surgery when he did, uh, giving plenty of, uh, if you want to call it that, preemptive time or whatever it was going to be to step into that role, be that Cole Barnes, Ryan Ramchick, just whoever. Uh, you allowed plenty of time, there is my point, to have someone to come in and acclimate themselves to their job. Yep. I'm not particularly concerned with the with the offensive line until uh, kind of like being a, a cancer patient. Don't ever worry until it's time to worry. And, and that's kind of the, the same approach that I take to this as well. I, I'm not uh, all indications and reports seem to point towards Max Unger being at the very latest, being back into the spring lineup by week one, the trip to Minnesota, uh, I, I think that that's uh, the best possible thing that you could hope for. To run Armstead, uh, best case scenario, 
I honestly believe Tehran comes back for a late season slash playoff stretch where he becomes an, an integral integral part <coughs> of what the Saints defense is trying to do. Uh, worst case scenario, you've got uh, a rookie that you're going to throw into the into the fire and take his lumps, which we, we did a year ago uh, with uh, Pete. And that, that didn't turn out the worst of all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, were you going to say something, Bob? I'm sorry. Oh, no, I'm, I apologize. Uh, I, I, uh, I agree with what you said, Sean. Uh, and again, you know, both of you guys said Ramchek's natural position is, is left tackle. He's going to take his lumps. Um, I feel confident in this offensive coaching staff that there are, they are aware of that. Uh, and they're, they're going to probably shift their protection to be a little bit stronger on that side to give Ramchek maybe a double team block, you know, slide Kuhn over, maybe keep a tight end in a little bit more often, you know, things like that. Because Lord knows, we know that this team has, has the weapons uh, to still be effective uh, at various levels of the field if they do keep a blocker in. Uh, mm -hmm. Ramchek Ram does have a nice skill set. I, when I said I was nervous about the offensive line, that I guess I should uh, I guess I should ex explain myself a little bit better. I actually like the pieces that are in place. I just know it's going to take. We all know it's going to take time for this to gel. A rookie left tackle, uh, a new right guard. I mean, you know, J Jari Evans, uh, Saints Hall of Famer to be sure at some point. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, it, it, there was a lot of years of stability at right guard where you didn't have to worry about a thing. Uh, Warford has some very nice skills, but again, it's going to take some time. And the hunger when he comes back and with Streif on his other side. It's, so, it's, it's nervous early. It's all the things that we talked about in the beginning of the, the show. Um, we're seeing a lot of first and second year players that we're relying on to have impacts on this team, plus the free agents that we brought in this year. Um, you know, Klein, uh, Warford, uh, even Manti Teo, we're kind of counting. It looks like we're counting on him to do something for us this year. Uh, Ted Ginn Jr., you know, the and that doesn't count, you know, the second year players like Will Lutz and these guys. We're counting on to really carry this team. So we have a very young team. Uh, so yeah, I would, we're all nervous because we not, not you know, to expect out of this team. Um, this is a team that can actually do something, get back to the playoffs, have that winning season, challenge the Falcons for possibly for a division title. Um, but with young players, you're not sure what you're going to get. So we can e just as easily finish 79 um, if things don't go right, which is why I said I think it's so important that this team, more so than any other year, because we've We've talked about that kind of thing before, about starting hot uh, and how that translates into better seasons for the Saints. This year, more than any other year, we really need to start. It has to start with the preseason games. We have to win. Even though they're meaningless, we have to win the preseason games. Yeah. Um, we have to show new pieces that we had, not only 
are good players, but they work well together. And if that happens, then we're going to have a much better season, I think, in the long run than we will if we're going to take six to seven weeks of the regular season before this team starts looking like the team that it should be on paper. Um, guys, we have gone over the limit as always. Um, we are, <laughs> we are, uh, of course, the show next week. We have a few guests on that one too. Sean's going to want to preview that one a bit. Um, like I said, it'll be the week of the first preseason, two weeks before we can actually break down any of the uh, the actual play. But um, Sean, yeah. what's next week going to be about? Tease the show. Uh, next week we are going to uh, after a lot of. Behind the scenes, uh, <laughs> we're welcoming in a very special guest. Uh, and if you guys are familiar with his uh, film dissection, uh, you need to go check out the Reverend Deuce Wyndham. Um, he's going to be our guest on next week. And we're really, really looking forward to that. Get uh, get used to break down some of these additional battles that we're seeing in camp. Um, and I, I want to thank Deuce for uh, I can rev Deuce. Uh, I want to thank you very much for uh, for accepting our invitation, and uh, he will be on with us next next Tuesday night. And we invite everyone to come back and maybe learn a little bit. Oh, I yep. will. <laughs> All right. Well. Let's take the time then. I want to thank uh, Matt, my son, for uh, joining us tonight, and also our unofficial third uh, host on the show, Bob Rose. Uh, Bob, uh, what you got coming up in your columns this week? I know you've been uh, profiling not only uh, doing a countdown with jersey numbers, yeah. but also you've been profiling individual players. What do you have coming up? Uh, well, I after what I did with Orlando Franklin, I'm not sure I'm going to be in uh, profiling another individual <laughs> player for a while. Um, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah. And thank you. We are uh, at canal street Chronicles. We're doing a count, a historical countdown of saints Jersey numbers from 99 countdown to zero and double zero. Um, both will be. Oh, so we got to Ken, uh -huh. Ken Burrow and, uh, and, um, Obert, uh, was a safety for the original Saints, a 67 team. So good deal. Both of those will be released on game day. I got to be honest with you guys. I'm sick and I'm sick of looking at numbers though. Uh, they're, <laughs> they're jamming my brain. Um, like I mentioned before last week, uh, we previewed all the offensive positions, uh, as they were leading into, as the Saints were uh, leading into camp. Um, and uh, this week we're doing a, a defensive positional outlooks. Uh, just released defensive tackles today. Uh, defensive ends are going to be next, uh, so on and so forth. And then by then we're going to be looking at uh, preseason game breakdowns, breaking down what the Saints are doing and breaking down opponents. Uh, a lot of great writers. I've worked for a great boss, John Hendricks at Canal Street Chronicles. Uh, so hopefully you guys are following that as well. All right. Well, as always, we can follow Bob uh, at Canal, Canal Street Chronicles. Uh, Bob, what's your, tweet, uh, your Twitter handle? Uh, Twitter handle is uh, at B-O-B-B-Y 26, B-O-B-B-Y-R 2613. So Bobby R 2613. Okay. Now, Matt doesn't write, but uh, Matt, how can they follow you on Twitter if they want to follow you? 
You can follow me at uh, NFL Oldrick17 on Twitter. And if you're on the uh, Under the Dome podcast Facebook group, in a bit I'll probably post a few videos I have from Saturday's training camp. I did record some things. And I might try and share it on the group. I even have a couple live videos on my Facebook too when it, from the uh, way early in the morning. Good deal. Okay. Well, guys, thank you all for being on. Um, I wanted to get off because uh, I have a feeling this time bomb's going to go off right at 9.30. We're at 9.28. <laughs> so um, thank you guys for being on the show. Um, and tune in next week for another exciting episode of Under the Dome. Good night, Thanks, everybody. Guys. Good night.